morning, everybody. And uh, particular welcome to you if you are uh, here for the first time joining us on the live stream. Uh, my name is Tom Watts and I'm the Minister of St John's and uh, delighted that you're here with us. Uh, we are looking at the uh, first letter of Peter this morning and uh, indeed this term and we're going through chapter one fairly slowly, a few verses at a time. We will speed up but these verses are so rich and they've got so much to say to us in our current uh, situation that we thought it would be helpful to, to, to go a bit more slowly. So let me uh, pray as we begin to look at uh, God's words for a few minutes now. Father God, thank you that Jesus is King. Thank you that you're with us as we gather by your spirit. And we pray that you would speak to us now. And would you encourage us in the situations that we're in as we face so many challenges, as uh, we seek to see what it looks like to serve you in this season. We pray that you would um, help our eyes and our hearts to see your future hope more clearly. Or even if we're not yet trusting in Jesus, to see that for the first time. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, one of the many things that we've had to do um, without during lockdown in uh, Hampstead is the fair on Hampstead Heath, which is usually at the bottom of Downshire Hill on, uh, on most of the bank holiday weekends through the spring and the summer. And at fairs, there's a basic choice for your money. Uh, it's rides or stalls with prizes, as I'm sure you know. And in our family, we have learnt through bitter experience that while with rides, what you see is pretty much what you get, stalls with prizes need to be approached with caution. You know how it works. Behind the counter, there are the biggest cuddly toys you've ever seen, high-end Nerf guns, massive bags of sweets. And so picture the scene. Wide-eyed child approaches the stall, puts down their only one pound coin, fails on the first couple of attempts, and then on the third go, miraculously hooks a duck or gets a ball in the jar. And it's great rejoicing, happy, happy day. But only for a moment, because then the stallholder brings out the prize and it's a tiny stuffed toy, a, a wonky plastic bow and arrow, a lone lollipop. Well, cue tears of despair and frustration. See, it turns out you need to win 10 or 20 times in a row to get the prizes on the hooks that you can see when you approach the stall. And the last time someone managed that was in 1993. There's nothing more disappointing than anticipation that gives way to anti-climax. And if that's true with fairground prizes, how much more true is it with the things that actually matter in life when the much desired new job turns out to be full of idiots like the last one, when the marriage turns out to involve two sinners, 
when the new house turns out to be full of dry rot and clothes moths, when hopes, dreams, ambitions and plans are brought to nothing by an invisible virus. Well, we heard last week as we began this first letter of Peter that God's people are his elect exiles, his chosen people. But his readers then, and, and we now, would easily say we, we often don't feel very chosen when we consider our circumstances. His readers were suffering. It, it's possible they were physically in exile from Rome, where Peter was writing from. But more than that, they were spiritually exiles. Their faith in God made them different from those around them, and that led them to suffer because they were alienated from the culture around them. And then, as now, it's easy for suffering Christians to think, I don't feel very chosen. I don't feel very privileged as I consider life in the here and now. And maybe even sometimes I feel as if the so-called rewards of Christian faith are turning out to be rather like the prizes at the fairground stall. Not quite what I was hoping for as I press on through the pain and the frustration. Oh, but, but, but someone says, there's always the hope of heaven at the end. But does that really make a difference now? And is it really going to be all that great? How can we be sure? Well, Peter launches into the main body of his letter with what is essentially one long sentence from verses 3 to 12 and like we saw in verses 1 and 2 he's not yet launching into what his suffering readers need to do but he wants to tell them who they are and what they have and how that changes them here is why you suffering christians elect exiles are more privileged than you could ever imagine. And verses three to five, which is what we're looking at this morning in 1 Peter chapter one, he, he starts off by explaining that it's because of their guaranteed, glorious, life-changing future. Guaranteed, glorious, life-changing future. So let's take each of those three words one at a time. Their future is guaranteed. So let me read again verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, we'll explore what this living hope is in a moment. But, but first, he establishes why we can be confident that this future he's about to describe is certain and it's certain because it depends on something that has already taken place Jesus rose from the dead now last time we saw that a big theme in this letter is is that what is true of Jesus is true of his people he was chosen before the creation of the world if you heard you remember well so were his people he was an outcast an exile an alien among people who should have accepted him well, so are his people now. He suffered and died and rose from the dead. And on that basis, 
so will his people. Actually, more than that, so have his people. Do you see that? According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Now, born again is one of those jargon phrases that gets thrown around and means different things to different people and makes us think of all kinds of things, maybe in America particularly for some reason. But actually, we need to think about what the Bible means when it uses that word born again. In the Bible, it's about saying when you put your faith in Jesus, you have a new start, a new identity. And here, Peter is linking that with Jesus's new start, his new birth in his death and resurrection. And because Jesus's resurrection is in the past, that makes our future resurrection certain. Before the late 15th century, as far as Europe was concerned, the furthest west that you could travel in the world was Lisbon in Portugal. And there was a sign there at the westernmost point in Lisbon that said, that read, nay plus ultra, nothing beyond. Nothing more beyond, nay plus ultra. But in 1492, Christopher Columbus sailed west and discovered America. And when he came back, they changed the sign to plus ultra. There is more beyonds. Do you see, before Columbus set out, no one would have wanted to sail west. That would be a very bad idea. Who knows what you'd find? Maybe you'd fall off the edge of the world, they might think. But that changed in 1492 and it's the same see knowing that Jesus has already risen from the dead is like knowing that Christopher Columbus has already sailed and safely returned from America it means there is a future it means the future is certain because Jesus has put death behind him and he's defeated it and he's alive and what is true of him is true of his people remember Everything in the Christian faith stands or falls on whether Jesus has risen from the dead. The Australian evangelist John Chapman used to tell of how from time to time he'd feel doubts about whether what he believed and preached was true. But when those doubts came, he would sit down and in his words, he'd give himself a good talking to, I won't do the accent, and he'd say, Chapo, which is what people used to call him, Chapo, has anything changed since yesterday? Is it no longer true that Jesus died on the cross? Is there any fresh evidence that disproves that he rose from the dead? No? Well, keep going then. It's obviously the best thing to do. Do you see, our present circumstances may change. Our present circumstances certainly have changed, almost beyond recognition. Our feelings about life and faith will go all over the place in a season like this. But one thing has not changed. It is still true that Jesus rose from the dead. And that means our future is certain and guaranteed. So keep going. But what are we keeping going for? What is this future? Well, the promised future is guaranteed and it's glorious. Peter writes that it's an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and un.
fading. It's imperishable. That means it's free from death and decay. Jesus rose from the dead, never to die again. He, he rose with a, a physical body free from death and decay. And it's worth dwelling on that as we experience the frailty of our bodies in this fallen world. And we, we need to know this because so often when we imagine what we call heaven, which isn't a very good word for it, as we'll see in a moment, but when we, when we think about it, we think of medieval art. And, and what comes to our minds is a kind of spirit world where we're all dressed in white, floating around on clouds with a bit of lift music playing gently in the background. And I, you know, I don't know about you, but that's okay for an hour or two, a day maybe, you know, a bit of peace, that sounds lovely. It doesn't sound all that great a way of spending eternity and more to the point it doesn't really get me out of bed in this fallen world right now but if something is free from death and decay it must be something that you would otherwise think would be subject to death and decay and when you consider Jesus rose not just in spirit but physically you start to realize this is a glorious hope that we have a, a, a world like this one. Uh, the, the book of Revelation calls it the new heavens and the new earth. And it comes when Jesus returns and brings heaven to earth. Did you notice in verse four, the inheritance is being kept in heaven, but that doesn't mean that our ultimate eternal destination is heaven with no body. Our ultimate destination is new creation there may be a period after death where we go to be with Jesus if we come if if we die before he returns but we're going to come to earth with him with real bodies and relationships and real lives to be lived to the full but free from the death and decay that breaks our hearts and saddens us daily now it's a glorious thing and it's undefiled he goes on no uncleanness no immoral impurity no sin no no hurting each other through our action and inaction family life that actually works and isn't spoiled by sin and selfishness and frustration it's glorious and it's unfading unspoilt by the ravages of time you know every 10 years we renew our passports and we we thought we hadn't changed at all but then we, we look back at how we looked 10 years ago and we realise actually really that isn't true. You know, you can lose a lot of hair in 10 years, believe me. And this is an inheritance, we're being told, that is eternal and only gets better, not worse. Now, For Peter's readers, it would have been helpful to compare with the Old Testament picture of earthly promised land in Canaan. You know, that was glorious. That was a glorious thing to be promised. The land of milk and honey. But actually, it still had death and decay. It still had sin and moral impurity. It didn't last forever and God's people were removed from it. Well, not so with this. More than that, when Peter uses that word imperishable, we'll just look down in, in the rest of the chapter and see what, what Peter thinks is perishable. What's the opposite of this future inheritance? Do you see? We'll look at verse 7. It's, it's gold. Gold perishes, though it's detested by fire. And then verse um, 18, later in the chapter, 
you've been ransomed from the futile lives inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold. Gold is the opposite of what is to come. Do you see? The most precious metal known, certainly then as he's writing, he's thinking, what's the most precious thing I can think of? That's the opposite of what's to come. It's, it's no way near as good. But what do we live for in this world? It's so easily the bank balance. It's, it's savings. It's the pension and the fabulous retirement. It is gold in one form or another. But every day we read another story of someone ruined by redundancy in the current crisis or a, a family grieving their husband, father and grandfather who has died aged 65 with the well-earned retirement ahead snatched from them. What a tragedy. Coronavirus is certainly shattering dreams and showing us that not even gold will save us. But we should have known that anyway, shouldn't we? See, as far as Peter is concerned, gold is perishable. Invest in what is imperishable, he says to suffering Christians and to anyone. And it echoes what we heard in the first reading from Jesus's words in the Sermon on the Mount. So our future is guaranteed and glorious. But so what? What difference does that make on Monday morning, back on the wards, or dealing with anxious clients, or trying to get homeschool up and running for the week? Well, we need to see thirdly and finally in these verses that our future, as well as being uh, guaranteed and as well as being glorious, it is life-changing, life-changing. It changes everything, not just for the future, but for now. And there are several signs of that in these verses. There is the talk of new birth. In verse three, a, a, a new start, not when Jesus returns in the future, do you notice, but to, you know, when he brings heaven to earth and a new world, that will certainly be a new start, but there is a sense that we have a new birth now. Well, what does that look like? Well, he says what it's to, he says you've been born again to a living hope. And that, what, what is a living hope? It, it's hope that isn't dead, that isn't bleak which is really all that the alternatives to Christian hope have to offer, isn't it? You know, a friend of mine talks about how there are two main ways of uh, viewing life. You can either see it as a tragedy or a comedy, uh, using those words in the theatrical senses, you know, from the sort of world of drama. Um, you know, in the theatre, in a tragedy, the basic shape of the plot is, is like this. It's a big frown. So, you know, big upside down frown. And you, you, you start down here, you have a high point in the middle where everything is as good as it's going to get. You know, Romeo and Juliet fall in love, for example. And then you tail off into tragedy by the end. Romeo and Juliet die. And that actually is, is the shape of life that so many people see. You know, a bit, uh, you start as a baby, you have some fun in the middle, and then it all tails off into tragedy. Well, a comedy is the opposite of that. In the theatre, it doesn't mean lots of ha-ha jokes. It's not as if it's, it's got to be funny. But it's tragedy upside down. You start up here, and something bad happens, and you're down here for a bit. But it's resolved, and you end up better than ever before. See, without Christ, hope 
is dead. Literally, we, we're, we're heading for worse than oblivion, for, for, for judgment from God. With Christ, we're heading for glory. It's a living hope because it's life that starts now and isn't held up by death. It isn't even held up by God's judgment. It continues through death and judgment into eternity because of what Jesus has done by dying for us and rising. And that means for the Christian, hope is never lost. And whatever is going on, the best is yet to come. Think how the rainbow symbol has been reclaimed by our culture as a symbol of hope. Think, think how we are desperate for hope in the face of all that's going on at the moment. But without Christ, the idea of hope in the end is still just dead hope, isn't it? You know, uh, even if we survive the coronavirus, well, everyone dies. It's just a question of when. Well, Christians have a life changing, living hope. And, and, and verse five, if you if you fret about whether you're going to be able to keep going till that time comes, he says, well, know that you're being guarded here and now, not by your power and your strength, but by God's power. Think about it. Shielding has taken on a new meaning in this time, hasn't it? The cost of shielding ourselves from this invisible threat is huge. And we fear in the end it's, it's impossible. How on earth can we do this in the long term? Well, we need to know if we're trusting Jesus, God is shielding us. And it's not that we won't get ill necessarily. It's way better than that. Because God is shielding us until Jesus returns and we get the inheritance that he's promising us. And that frees us to live a life shaped by praise. So verse three, he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise him. That's the headline for this whole extraordinary paragraph of all the things that are true for Christians. Praise him. In other words, what should I be doing as I battle on now through daily life with all its struggles? And I think I don't know what's going to happen next week, next month, next year. How's it all going to work? Praise God for what he's done. Praise him for the living hope that he's given us. That, that life in the end is not bleak, but we have a guaranteed and glorious hope. And along with praise, we're free to live a life shaped by faith. You see verse five. Why, why faith? Because this inheritance is undeserved. It's a gift of mercy, he says in verse three. According to his great mercy, he's given us this. Well, we, we therefore we receive it with empty hands. Now, I saw something the other day that said, if you don't come out of this lockdown, having learned a new skill or written a book or bettered yourself in, 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 in some way, you never lacked the time. You just lacked the willpower. I want to say, come on, get real. The main thing I'm learning in this season, I don't know about you, but the main thing I'm learning in this season is how little I can depend on myself and my own abilities and strengths. How impossible it is to live up even to my own expectations of myself. I still think, oh, I've got all this, you know, a different, different way to spend my time. I'll do it like this. No, I don't even manage that. Can't even live up to my own expectations of my life. I don't know about you let alone God's, but in his mercy, he's given me new birth to a living hope. 
and he's guarding me now. And all he asks me to do is put my faith in him, to trust him. And that's the same for any one of us. He's asking us simply to trust him and to wait, to live for then, not for now. As we wait for that final salvation that will be revealed when Jesus returns, as he says. Let's make our main desire and our prayer in lockdown, however, it lo however long it lasts. Not that we'd emerge with some new you know, superhuman power. But that we come out of this with renewed faith and trust in this God of mercy. As we realise how little we can depend on ourselves how much we can depend on the God of living hope as we wait for this guaranteed and glorious future. We'll see next time that in the verses that follow, he really drills down into what difference this makes, particularly when we're suffering. But for now, we need to, uh, to see and believe that what God has in store for his people won't turn out to be a massive letdown, because it's guaranteed, it's glorious, and it's life-changing. Father God, we praise you for this glorious hope that we have. Thank you that it's guaranteed, not because of anything in us, in our weakness, in our frailty, in our sin that we're so aware of in these strange times. We praise you for Jesus that he has died and he's risen from the dead and that has not changed. And so we look forward we, with renewed confidence to the living hope that you have for us in the future that is guaranteed and glorious. And we pray therefore that we would let that transform us now and give us a different perspective on our daily lives and what you're calling us to day by day here and now, whether that's full of joy or pain. We pray, especially for any who do not yet have this hope for themselves, and we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would open their eyes and enable them even now to put their trust in Jesus, to reach out with empty hands and be given in your mercy new birth to a living hope. And so we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.